Stand by. Hello and welcome to the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist. And now your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Librocube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Librocubicularist. Today, within the Librocube is Movie Monday, in which we discuss, of course meaning I discuss, and you listen, Ostrich Burgers. No! That is just... Why would I talk about ostrich burgers on a Movie Monday episode? No, we talk about movies. Don't be silly. Be a little silly, but not that silly. One thing I like to say at the top of nearly every show, which is, I think, most important, really, for me anyways, on a Movie Monday, is that there will be spoilers. Most likely. Chance of definite spoilers. So, this is your one and probably only spoiler warning. You have been warned. Another thing that I say often, if not every time, is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment on the old iTunes, because that, my friends, is what helps podcasts grow and flourish like a virulent plague. Uh, of course, the last piece of podcast-related business before we hop into some movies is today's sponsor. Because a quality, quality podcast such as this is obviously going to be sponsored. I don't even know why I'm saying this sentence because of its obviousness. Ossities. Right? So, today's sponsor is the Bobby Fisher School for Kids Who Can't Play Chess Good and Want to Do Other Stuff Good, too. Once again, today's sponsor is the Bobby Fisher School for Kids Who Can't Play Chess Good and Want to Do Other Stuff Good, too. Okay, movie the first is a documentary. Huh, how about that? documentary called Bobby Fischer Against the World. Oh, what? I just realized the sponsor in the first movie. Oh, man. Well, I will try to be unbiased about the movie, okay? Um, that being said, I am going to give it a 4 out of 5. Uh, unprofessional reviewer of things that I am, I will quite often give out my review before saying anything, just because I find if I don't, sometimes I forget to do it, so... There you go. So this is the documentary about ostrich burgers. No, what is with me and ostrich burgers? Oh, it is a documentary about Bobby Fischer. If you are unfamiliar with Bobby Fischer, which I knew the name and I knew what he was famous for, but that's kind of where it ended for me. Uh, he is, or I should say was, a sort of chess prodigy uh, at one point on this globe, the number one chess player, so... Pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Chess master is what they uh, what they calls them. Oh man, I'm not doing good with the lights and stuff today. So the movie basically sort of mostly focused on his biggest match, but then the rest of the focus was on, I guess, kind of his life in general and his for back of for back of a better blurred. For lack of a better word, his craziness. Uh, he was pretty... Jesus Christ. I'm 
catching every light, every friggin' bus this morning. School bus, that is. Something strange. Normally I just fly through. And I find, as now, that I am not moving in my car. When I talk, strangely enough, it doesn't sound as good as when I am moving. It, I think it has something to do with, a, with about how I uh, sort of edit, edit, edit out the car sounds. So when there are no car sounds, it kind of edits out some of my talking sounds. You feel me? Yeah, feel me. Yeah, so uh, Bobby Fischer Against the World, also focusing on his craziness, because this movie sort of very, very... I, I think it's a very good example of how people who are sort of exceptionally smart are often lacking in other areas of their brain. Huh? So, for example, in Bobby Fischer's case, um, just a sort of, well, a, a grand master of chess and could be, you know, 20 moves ahead, could look at, he would read chess magazines, and it would appear as, his, as if he was just flipping through the pages, but he was actually sort of com completing the games he saw within these books in his head, how they would turn out, sort of mind-blowing, uh, mind-blowy stuff. Most of the focus, though, is on his match versus, oh, Spanksy? Spasky. <laughs> Spanksy, ooh, naughty. Uh, he was challenged by a Russian by the name of Spassky, uh, and this was, it was amazing to see how, how much people cared about this. I think if two people, even grandmasters, were to play in a tournament today, uh, the focus wouldn't be there as it was back in the, was it in the 80s? Yeah, I think it was in the 80s. It was like friggin' the World Cup, the World Series, the Super Bowl all rolled into one. Just just crazy amount of world focus on these two battling it out. They played uh, like 40 games too, so this is a huge series. Apparently in chess, uh, it's, I guess, not unusual for two sort of titans such as this to go back and forth, back and forth, as far as wins, losses, and draws as well. Okay, I have to stop and get some go-go juice, a.k.a. gasoline. So I will be back in a moment. Editing. 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 On the road again. Road again. So, Spassky versus Fisher. Battle of the Century. This sort of section of the movie emphasized Bobby Fisher's Again, we'll just use craziness. Developed some some sort of some kind of severe paranoia paranoia during this this chest battle. He believed, uh, and I guess um, this was sort of a different time. It was during the Cold War where Americans and Russians did not get along so well. Um, so maybe some of it was that, but very, very paranoid that the Russians were sort of trying to, I don't think kill him was the right word, but um, cause him to lose. Yeah. So he believed that like, there were coatings on his chair that would make him not think straight, or that the, the hum of the cameras was there to, to slowly drive him insane. Hmm. Just sort of a, kind of a big conspiracy nut. 
Now, that being said, uh, yes, during the Cold War and in Russia, chess is, like, taken much, much more seriously than it is in the States. I think the same is true today as it was back then, where they'd have, in Russia, for example, this Spassky character was basically working for the government, paid for by the government, and trained by the government in chess. So, interesting. Very, very interesting. I highly recommend the movie, available for your viewing pleasure on Canadian Netflix. Oh, just sort of to round it off, he won. Bobby Fischer did win that match. That's a bit of a spoiler. Uh, But then... I guess how it works is that when you are the Grand Master, you can be challenged. He did not show up for uh, his next challenge, which means the challenger won by default, so Bobby Fischer is is and was no longer the world champion. He then sort of, (laughs) a slow descent into madness is how you could describe it, Uh, sort of racist rants, anti-Jewish rants, um, eventually moved to Iceland, where they sort of, I don't know, welcomed him with open arms, but gave him sanctuary. He looked like a homeless person at that point, just sort of giant bushy beard, his teeth weren't looking too good, and raving maniacally. Uh, some sort of brain disease he had, and uh, refused to get that treated, and that's what killed him. Sad end to a brilliant chess player. Okay, let's move on to Paper Covers Rock. Hmm. Also, I should say, available on Canadian Netflix. (laughs) How about that? Uh, This is about... It's a definite drama with the odd laugh. Heavier on the drama, lighter on the laughs. Uh, About a girl who attempts suicide by putting a bag over her head and her young daughter finds her in this sort of state I guess either takes the bag off or well, let's just say saves her so uh, after this happens she's uh, locked up for a little while for her own good and then is released into the custody of her sister uh, and then the movie sort of takes off from there where it is the interaction between this girl her sister and um, the girl... I didn't write down her name. <laughs> name curse. Anyways, the girl's sort of desire to see her daughter, however, um, not being allowed to do so for, I guess, obvious reason. I will say that the the girl's sister is a bit of a bitch. Like, your sister just tried to commit suicide, and you force her not only to sleep on your couch, which, you know, that's fine, but, but every day she is forced to take the sort of sheets off the couch, put the covers away, make sure none of her belongings are visible and all hidden. So sort of treating her as if she wants no sort of proof of her existence living in this uh, apartment with her. Uh, there's other things she does. For example, uh, the girl who tried to commit suicide ends up working at her sister's work, but sort of like a, uh, a janitor, yeah, as a janitor, um, ends up going on a date with one of the people from this from this company, and everything seems to be hunky-dory, and they seem to be hitting it off a little bit. But then we learn that the sister told this guy of her suicide attempt, 
And then it sort of just cools off after that. Just a friggin' bitch. I really didn't like her. And she made me angry. For rating-wise, I'm gonna go... Uh, I think this has got a good Sunday movie vibe. Uh, so I'm gonna do, as I do from time to time, give this movie a four if you watch it on a Sunday, but three if you watch it any other day. And just warn that it is a little depressing. You see her, this girl's, who <laughs> I didn't write down her name, hence the name curse. You see her sort of, she starts in madness, the attempting suicide, then she's better, and then you see her sort of slow descent back into madness. So a little Bobby Fisher madness vibe there, too. Huh. Something about that seems to appeal to me, apparently. Moving on to the craziest of the three movies that I'm going to talk about on my way to work. Oh, just on that note, I have four. Uh, I sorry, I have three movies on the way for the way home as well. So three and three, six total. If you like me, do not know how to math. Uh, this movie is Zoolander. Mm -hmm. Yes, that Zoolander. Uh, I should say that the missus and I had planned to watch a movie called The Flat, which looked pretty good. Um, she was all on board, I was all on board. We put it on, and within about, I was going to say 30 seconds, but no, I'm going to go 20 seconds. Within about 20 seconds, the missus is like, oh, this movie looks boring, I don't want to watch it. 20 seconds. I think I'm actually, I may be being kind with the 20 seconds. I think it might have been left. So, rather than argue that she agreed to watch it, and then hear her complain for the entire movie, I decided, hey, let's not make her watch it. So we watched Zoolander instead, which is probably about as far away from the movie The Flat as you can get. The Flat, I think, was about, and I just kind of think it is about, I didn't watch it, obviously, um, a woman dies and then her family goes to her apartment, her flat, as they say over in Jelly Old, and have to clean out her belongings. So, so a little on the depressing side. Uh, over to Zoolander, which uh, I'm sure Zoolander is the type of movie that most people have seen, I bet. One of those 90 com 90s comedies that everyone has seen for rating. Jeez, I think I'm going to go for it's a lot of a lot of funny moments. I had seen it, obviously, uh, at least once. Probably looking back on it, I would have given it a three. However, uh, after rewatching it, there was uh, definitely some funny funny parts. The movie stars Ben Stiller as Zoolander, Derek Zoolander, who is a male model. Uh, curious how, if any, realism there is as far as male models and their personalities, how, how like the models portrayed in this movie are realistically portrayed. Because I have a feeling, even though it is exaggerated for comedy, there's always some underlying truth. So uh, this takes place in a world in which, in which sort of fashion people, fashion moguls, are behind child labor and are kind of like an evil conglomerate. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to say it. An evil conglomerate of the fashion people who are behind the scenes of many of the world's badness. Yeah, okay, sure. That's as good as a way to describe it as any, I guess. They decide that because 
the... I'm going to call him, and he's not. I'm going to call him the Dalai Lama, because he looked like the Dalai Lama, dressed like him. He was not the Dalai Lama. They used some other name, but let's just call him... Let's call a spade a spade, and a Dalai Lama a Dalai Lama. Uh, the Dalai Lama had sort of abolished child labor, or was in the process of abolishing it, and these fashion people did not like that, because they were getting all their cheap labor. So, how do they stop the Dalai Lama? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. You obviously brainwash a male model to kill him at a fashion show. Duh. Even. Duh. Yeah, just a ridiculous story. But I love a ridiculous story that, although in this universe makes sense to them, makes zero sense in the actual universe. Uh, so Ben Stiller, his sort of male model rival, is played by Owen Wilson. They eventually end up being friends and sort of uniting against this cause. The bad guy, the one of the fashion moguls, is played by Mr. Will Farrell. His name is, is Mugatu. I like that name, so I wrote it down. Mugatu. He's really good in this. And he's sort of in charge of the brainwashing and killing of Dalai Lamas. Uh, something that I didn't remember, but re-watching it sort of blew me away, is there is, within this movie, just a, a friggin' shit ton of uh, names. And by that I mean famous people who you will recognize. I think if you get a look at the IMDb of this movie, you'll just be sort of blown away. Including uh, Ben Stiller's father, uh, Jerry... Is it Jerry Stiller? I didn't write down his name. You know him from Seinfeld, from King of Queens. Super, super funny dude. As well as, which the missus and I did not realize, his mother had a brief cameo at the beginning of the movie as well. Huh. As long, hey, you know what? Now that I think about it, the, the sort of love interest in this movie, because there's got to be a love interest in the 90s comedy, is his wife. Huh. So, uh, a big family affair. Oh, also, uh, Patton Oswald made an appearance, uh, a brief appearance, so kind of a little King of Queens action there, too. Did I get my rating? Yeah, four. Okay, so that's it. I am done. I will be back after eight hours for three more movies. Love you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. Back. We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Eight hours of work completed. It was a day back from holiday in which there was not a tremendous amount of catching up to do, so thank you, co-workers, for that. Yay? Even? Why don't we hop right back into Movie Monday? I can't think of a reason why not, so I'm going to do it. If you thought of a reason and said it right there, you can email me to the address provided in the closing credits, or tweet at me, I am Jordan underscore Maywood, on the Twitter. The Twitter. Movie the fourth. Ah, okay, this is a movie called Notes on a Scandal. The Misses has a collection of maybe, uh, I'll, go, I'll go a high estimate of ten. Ten different movies that she will watch repeatedly over and over and over again. 
it sickens me that she does this when there is such a wide variety of movies out there. But, hey, what are you going to do? I've tried to open her mind to new experiences, but, hey, she likes them, so why not let her watch them over and over again? Right? Right. Happy wife, happy life, yes. Uh, this is one of those movies. She was going to watch it, and I said, hey, I've never seen that. Why don't we watch it together, I says, I says to her. So we did just that. Uh, the movie stars Dame Judi Dench, as well as Kate Blanchett. It is, uh, how would you classify it? A drama? Yeah, we'll go with a drama. I realized about three-quarters, seven-eighths into this movie that it is... Oh, I should have checked the dates. It is basically the exact same storyline of the movie Cable Guy starring Jim Carrey but serioused up a bit. Um, a lot, actually. So, uh, Dame Judi Dench is in the Jim Carrey role. Kate Blanchett is in the... Oh, shit, who was it again? Oh, shit, I forget. Is it Ben Stiller? No. Oh, man. Brain fart there. Who was in Cable Guy with Jim Carrey? <laughs> That's embarrassing. Was it Ben Stiller? Am I just thinking it's Ben Stiller because I just watched Zoolander? Oh, wow. Jim Carrey and... I've seen it, like, at least twice, maybe three times. Cable Guy. Anyways, we're not here to talk about Cable Guy. We're here to talk about Notes on a Scandal. The serious Cable Guy. The Cable Guy for the serious individuals. Kate Blanchett is in the other role. The sort of only difference being, uh, or the main difference being that in the movie Cable Guy, everyone sort of liked Jim Carrey's character, whereas in this movie, no one really likes Dame Judi Dench's character. So basically, it's uh, Judi Dench and Kate Blanchett work at a school, and uh, Kate Blanchett, and they sort of uh, befriend one another. Judi Dench's character sort of has a... She develops a an obsession with Kate Blanchett, and wants to be BFFs for life, and sort of uh, intrudes on her life, becomes obsessed with her friendship and being liked by Kate Blanchett. Now, uh, I guess one of the little twists in this is that Kate Blanchett's character ends up uh, fooling around with one of her 15-year-old students. Oh no! Or, if you're the student, oh yes! Uh, Judy Dench figures that because she has this knowledge of Kate Blanchett, she now has her sort of in for life, and there's no way that Kate Blanchett will be anything but best friends if she keeps this secret for her. Hmm. Interesting. Where it uh, sort of falls apart is Judy Dench is uh, one of her... Judy Dench's cat dies. Sadness. She pleads with Kate Blanchett to come help her uh, basically put the cat down and then bury it. Kate Blanchett has a family and just at this point cannot do it. Her son is in a play, her first time ever, and she kind of has to be there, makes the decision to go to the play rather than help Judy Dench with her grieving process. Uh-huh. 
Judy Dench is not happy about this fact, much like Jim Carrey was not happy when, fuck, was it Ben Stiller? When whoever uh, decided they didn't want any part of their lives. What? Hmm. Confused. I am. So she sort of uh, let slip this affair to uh, another one of the teachers. It all sort of explodes in a, you guessed it, scandal which uh, basically breaks apart the, the marriage and family of Kate Blanchett. Great turmoil and sadness. She turns to uh, Judy Dench not knowing that she is behind the, the explosion of the secret on the world. Eventually, Kate Blanchett sort of comes across these notes that uh, Judy Dench was keeping, her journal. One of the journal entries was sort of torn out of her journal book and thrown in the garbage. Kate Blanchett comes across it, sort of gets the gist of what is going on, then uh, tears up the house, finds the journal in question, and sees sort of into the mind of Judy Dench. Um, and also learns that this is not the first time that Judy Dench's character has done something like this. In fact, just before Kate Blanchett started teaching at the school, there was another teacher who we learn had a similar experience with Judy Dutch's character as, that went so far as to turning into, oh shit, what's it called? Well, the court ordered her not to come within, you know, a hundred yards of her. What the fuck is that called? Oh man, I'm having some serious brain issues today. Uh, this other teacher then moved away, so Kate Blanchett was like her new obsession. Uh, the movie ends, which... So that, that sort of scenario, I think, also happened in Cable Guy, where we learned that this was not the first time Jim Carrey had an obsession with uh, another dude. Uh, the movie ends the same way, I believe, the Cable Guy movie ended, uh, where Jim Carrey and Dame Judy sort of... Uh, we see the, the possibility that another scenario is developing in which it's all going to happen all over again. Oh, okay, well, I muddled that one up pretty good. Uh, Rating-wise, I'm going to go three to five. I did uh, I did enjoy it. Wouldn't watch it again, though. So that's what I like to use my threes for. Enjoyed while watching, would not watch again. Okay, so let's move on to my final two movies, which are, of course, Escape from New York, followed by Escape from L.A. Hmm. So, for ratings for these movies, I'm going to just throw them out right off the bat. Escape from New York, we're going to go 3 to 4 out of 5 in that range. From uh, For Escape from L.A., we're going to go 4 to 5 out of 5. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Escape from New York. The reason I give it a slightly lower rating is because the plot to both movies are virtually identical, just replace kind of L.A. with New York, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. It's just that Escape from New York took itself much, much more seriously than, than Escape from L.A., tried to be sort of a, a serious action movie, but these movies kind of do not fit into that category. It works better if you try to just do sort of over-the-top crazy action as opposed to a very serious action movie. 
uh, kind of reminded me of Evil Dead 1 and 2 in that respect, that the, the, the stories are virtually identical. Evil Dead 1 was much more of a serious horror movie, where Evil Dead 2 uh, went down the crazy path much more. And I liked Evil Dead 2, as you may know if you listened to that podcast episode. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you a little bit about Escape from New York. Uh, it takes place in 1997. I should say that this movie came out, I guess, in the 80s and was supposed to be in the future of 1997. Um, <laughs> apparently, the U.S. has sort of gone to shit, basically, is a way to look at it. Crime has risen, I believe it was, 400%. And uh, New York, the island of New York, uh, has turned into the one and only maximum security prison within the U.S., sort of cut off from the rest of the United States. So whenever someone was charged with a crime deemed, um, I guess, worthy of being incarcerated, they were sent to New York and were never allowed to leave. Oh, no. This uh, this sort of universe in which this takes place. So, in Escape from L.A., uh, let's see, maybe I'll do these reviews simultaneously. I've never done that before. In Escape from L.A., the year is 2013, which I thought was fine. kind of kind of funny, just because this year is 2013. So, <laughs> it's kind of funny to see the jump that this, this universe has made, this universe in which these two movies have taken place. So in Escape from L.A., the crime rate has risen even further with the addition of, I guess you could say, sort of revolutionaries and people. It's not so much just criminals who are sent to L.A. as people who are uh, atheists, for example, uh, people who are Islamic, people who are, I bet you... I don't think they ever touched on it, gays and lesbians, people who like to drink, people who sort of any anti-establishment whatsoever were sent there. Uh, there was a giant nine-point-something earthquake which split off L.A. from uh, the rest of California, so that, too, was converted to a maximum security prison. In Escape from New York, the main character, who uh, I should say is Snake Bliskin. Oh, Bliskin. I knew I was going to do that. It's Snake Bliskin with a P. But I've been saying for years Bliskin with a B for some reason. Played by Mr. Kurt Russell, one of my favorite actors, I should say, is sort of a badass. In the first movie, he is being imprisoned in New York. In the second, he's being imprisoned in L.A. In the first movie, he sort of makes a deal, slash is forced to make a deal with the uh, prison warden, slash police, military, whatever you want to call it. Uh, to go in, in the first movie, to save the president, in the second movie, to save the president's daughter. Uh, in the first movie, he has 23 hours to uh, complete his task of saving the president. In the second movie, I guess to sort of ramp up the tension a little bit, he only has 10 hours. I should say, in the second movie, it's not so much to save the president's daughter as to save... Uh, retrieve a little black box that has 
within it, uh, for lack of a better word, a sort of doomsday device. Uh, in the first movie, he is helped on his task by a variety of characters, including Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. <laughs> in the second movie, which I've got a few more details, he meets up with uh, Peter Fonda, one scene in which he and Peter Fonda uh, surf a tsunami together. Yeah, a little more over the top there. Also, I should say, in uh, Escape from L.A., Mr. Bruce Campbell makes an appearance. We love, in the Liberal Cube, some Bruce Campbell. Do we not? I actually didn't realize, because he's sort of, uh, he's, he's got makeup on that makes him not quite look like himself, so I didn't realize it was him. Uh, I should just say on that note that I have seen these movies. I think Escape from New York, this is second or third. No, for both of them. It's either the second or third time I've seen both movies. Uh, they both end with, you guessed it, Kurt Russell saving the day. However, just to touch on the last movie, uh, he saves the day and then has in his possession this doomsday device. This device it is basically a electromagnetic pulse satellite that allows you to send a electromagnetic pulse either to specific areas on the globe or to the globe as a whole, which will then basically send the Earth back to the, as they describe it, send it back to the Stone Age. So all uh, mechanical and electrical devices will no longer work. Huh. Uh, the movie ends, and I like how it ended, is Snake is pretty pissed off from betrayals and just being dicked around. And I will tell you one thing, you do not want to dick around Snake Plissken. Out of any character in any fictional universe to not dick around, I'm gonna go Snake Plissken, probably number one. Wow, I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, just mind-bogglingly, don't piss him off, don't jerk him around you will regret it. For example, in the case of Escape from L.A., he pushes the button on the Doomsday device that destroys all electronics and technology on the globe, sending this universe in which these events are taking place back to the Stone Age. Take that, people, for fucking him around. Do not do it. Okay, so with that, I will end. Hmm. Good a place to end as any, because uh, let's pretend, yeah, why don't we, that Snake Bliskin pushed this button, and thus podcasts no longer exist. So I will say quickly, as I do, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Cubicle Wrist. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. 
Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Come the day you're mine Live long and prosper.